Well, most mornings when I'm planning out what to say, I kind of try and come up with, oh, well, what am I going to say to to greet everyone as they come? And, of course, my plan for this morning was to make some smart comment about how much we've been enjoying all the melting and the springtime feeling outside. So that looks a little less melting in springtime outside than it did yesterday, but praise God we live in an area where the weather is different minute by minute, and God has provided some amazing moisture for us this year, and Lord willing, that will be a a blessing to those of us who depend on said moisture for our livelihoods and not a curse on those of us who depend on said moisture staying out of our houses as things melt. But as we get started, would you hear a a scripture reading from Matthew 5. It's the from the Sermon on the Mount, and it's what we commonly know as the Beatitudes. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Would you pray with me? Our God and our Heavenly Father, we do indeed feel blessed. You have granted so much to us in the country that we live, in the town that we live. You have cared for us and given us an amazing facility to meet in, is warm and snow-free. You have brought us here safely this morning and given us breath in our lungs as we woke up this morning. And Father, even for the days where we look around and the, the blessings aren't so obvious, when things are not going according to plan and things are confusing or frustrating, Lord, we know that In all of these things, you are still good and you are still at work. And Lord, we pray that we would cling to the promises that you have given us in Scripture. Particularly when we are persecuted or reviled for our faith or for taking stands on social issues that are dependent on our understanding of your word. Lord, we pray that when we are remaining faithful to your word, 
that no amount of commentary or persecution or any input from the world would sway us from your truth. And Lord, as we worship you and as we spend time in your word, we ask that you would reveal to us how that can be. How even the times of struggle in our lives, the times that maybe the blessings aren't quite so obvious, that it can still be used by you as a blessing in our, in our future and even now. So Lord, we commit this to you, your word and the preaching of your word and our hearing of your word. And we ask that you would open our ears and our hearts and our minds that we might engage with it and not just take it at surface value that this wouldn't be a good thing to listen to on a Sunday morning, but that it might be something used by your word that you might take it and apply it to our hearts and our lives that we might leave forever changed. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So this week's passage, predictably, is out of Hebrews chapter 10. And we are wrapping up Hebrews 10 and getting into Hebrews 11, Lord willing, not next week because I'll be away next week, but the week following. But before we can get into our passage, which starts in verse 32, we have to reacquaint ourselves with the warning that comes from our passage last week in verses 26 to 31. The warning was this, for if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has spurned the Son of God? and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and outraged the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. This was the warning that was leveled at our audience of our letter last week. And it forced them, and hopefully it forced us to consider our salvation, to consider our own standing before the Lord, rather than just assuming on the good graces we've received thus far. But not content to leave them just to wrestle with this warning on their own, our passage this morning, our author tries to give some form and shape to the self-examination, and he reminds them of their own history. If you briefly glance down in your Bibles, you'll see that we're about to get into chapter 11, which I like to call the Hebrews Hall of Fame of Faith. By faith, Abel. By faith, Enoch. By faith, Noah, and so forth. All of these great heroes of the faith that we are very excited to see how God has worked through and in them. 
But before we get there, he reminds his audience of their own faithfulness in trial and hardship. And it serves something of a dual purpose. It salves the sting of the warning that he just gave, but it also inspires continued perseverance in these believers. Our passage this morning is from verses 32 through to verse 39 at the end of the chapter. But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. The first words of our passage this morning remind the audience to do something that, in my opinion, we in the 21st century are horrible at. In our cancel culture, revisionist history era, the idea of remembering is often very poorly taught and demonstrated. We've all heard that famous saying of Spanish philosopher George Santayana, which goes, those who cannot remember the past are doomed to repeat it. Well, it seems today that our author is now not so much worried with a repeat of the past, which he dealt with in our preceding passage. Instead, he tells his people to remember their former days as a means of encouragement in their own spiritual condition. Remember that this is a largely comforting passage. It follows the pattern of our author coming with a stern warning and kind of coming in afterwards with a little bit of a, a soothing voice. The warning against going on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, that for me embodies this idea of a lack of memory. A person who repeats the past continuing in deliberate sin has at some point forgotten the love that they once had for the things of God. But now for our author's faithful brothers and sisters, there comes for a bomb to this sting. He's not totally negating the warning. Remember that we recognize that this warning was directed at believers as well. But he brings comfort to these people. And it also is one of those things where if a person looks at their former days and they think back to their life and goes, maybe that warning is leveled at me because I can't recall how I have remained faithful in the midst of trial. There is a, a two-edged sword here. 
But like I said, we are, in our culture, not horribly good at maintaining and revisiting the memory of what God has done, both on a grander scale of history and in our own lives. We act like the sharks that can't stop moving for fear that they would not be able to breathe. We just keep plunging forward, never looking behind us, just hoping to to make it to the end. But when we do so, we miss out on the overview of the and the blessing of the 2020 hindsight that we have when we can look back and go, it is amazing how God has been at work in our own lives. But this idea of just constantly moving forward and never looking back, we even justify it with scriptures. 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Or Philippians 3.13 and 14, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. It is good not to dwell on the past, allowing it to worry us and drive us to distraction from the present. It's important to remember where we've come from, to remember both the mountaintop that we've experienced with the Lord and the deep, deep valleys that he has sustained us through. Next to scripture reading and prayer, and often alongside of them, One of the most common disciplines I hear being touted as beneficial to the believer is that of journaling. I looked just on a Christian book website and I found 58 listings for prayer journals, 637 listings for journaling Bibles, and 703 listings just for Christian journals in general. And I confess that this is not a skill that I've ever made stick not because I don't enjoy remembering and hearing what God has done, but mostly because my penmanship is terrible and I don't want to reread what I've written. But the idea of spending time journaling and recording what God has done is a, is a valuable one because it gives an opportunity to look back. Sherry and I had the opportunity to go on a, a date this week, and part of the... Uh, the fun of the date was we had to call our parents and ask about their first date and try to recreate parts of it. And what a blessing it was that Sherry's dad promptly gets up and goes upstairs and gets his journal from when he was dating Sherry's mom and reads to us the, the history of their first date and his thoughts and his sappy, sappy words. And... It was such a blessing to read through and even see, as they're reading it, the rekindled thoughts and emotions that come from remembering what was going on in their lives at that time. And how beautiful is it if we can find ways to emulate that in our own spiritual lives, where maybe if you don't journal, you look back on photos or even just think back to what God has done. And if you really take the time to think back to those times that God has strengthened and sustained you, particularly in times of trial, it brings up in your mind a a conviction and a hope in the Lord that 
He's done it before. Maybe he will do it again and continue to sustain. The first three verses of our passage this morning. Recall the former days after you were enlightened. You endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. It's hard not to recognize the ways in which journaling might be a useful skill in making such recollections. Paul commanded the believers in Ephesus, Remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh of the hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Brothers and sisters, you and I worship a great God, one who has accomplished great things. Scripture is rife with commands to remember the things that God has done. And the memory of that become a, a ground of confidence in our faith. This both comes from reading the biographies and the histories of the Christian life where we can see how in the lives of others God has done amazing things and has sustained his people through hardship beyond anything we can imagine. And it also comes through, through looking at our own lives and the personal experiences of trial and suffering and hardship that we've experienced and how God has brought us through. We look back at our own lives and we think, am I saved? Have I been going on deliberately in sin? Or is the work of the Spirit in sanctification really in progress? We recall what God has done, and if we look back at our lives, we can see how far we've come from the very beginning, when we were first enlightened, when we first came to know Jesus. The particular emphasis given by our author today is that our audience recall how they've responded to these hardships and persecution that they've seen since coming to faith. And that's why I read from the Beatitudes in Matthew 5 of particular note was something of a prophecy and an interpretation that our Lord gives in verses 11-12. Blessed are you when... Others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The Christian life is not one where, upon salvation, we get to just put on rose-colored glasses and float through the rest of life. And, in fact, the opposite is usually true. To live the Christian life is to live as a fish out of water, as a citizen of a different country in a hostile nation. If we are true to what we believe, then at times we're going to draw uncomfortable attention to ourselves 
and we should be doing so. But we are called with this audience this morning to recall these moments of discomfort and even suffering and how we've persevered through them with God's help. The purpose behind this remembrance is found in verses 35 and 36. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. The reason that these believers are called to remember their struggles and sufferings and how they've responded to those sufferings is unto the perseverance of their faith. We don't know all of the details of what occasioned this letter, the personal sufferings that these believers are going through. But we do know that these people were being tempted to return to Judaism, the old covenant system of sacrifices and priests and the like. And we also know that to be either a Jew or a Christian, much less both, was an unenviable lot for as far as persecution is concerned. One or the other was bad enough, and perhaps the temptation to return to the familiarity of Judaism is due to this persecution that they're experiencing. But our author pleads with them in light of the warning that he's just read and the warning of what waits for those who would do so to not throw away the confidence and in doing so lose the reward that attends it. Again, I say that not many of us are keen to turn to Judaism today, but our world is so good at hanging things in front of us that promise if we would just abandon our old-fashioned morals or our obstinate insistence that there is only one God and that God is found in Jesus Christ, our world is great at promising that if we'll just throw that aside, that great things await. Promotion, salary raises, relationships, acceptance, peace of mind, all of these are just around the corner if you would just turn from the faith and forsake the ridiculous faith that you cling to. But the promise here is that in comparison to the riches of this world, even if we were to get, be given all of the riches of this world, there's a greater reward to be found in Christ. We read the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, and that's part of the Sermon on the Mount. And later in the sermon, our Lord says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. None of what our fallen world has to offer carries any eternal value. And indeed, we are told that we must forsake that which our world holds dear. But then Christ promises that everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. Holding fast our confidence comes with great and eternal reward. 
That reward is imperishable and is promised to all who don't throw away their confidence and instead persevere unto the end in faith. And this perseverance requires endurance. Our passage today in Hebrews 10 closely parallels the beginning verses of Romans chapter 5, which say, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You and I live in an era that obviously requires more endurance than often we would like. And I'm sure every generation has said we probably live in the hardest generation that's ever existed. But certainly it would sometimes be nice to just sit back and coast for a while. These last years that we've experienced have had world-changing event after world-changing event And through all of these things, God's church has persevered. Persecution of believers is on the rise around the world. And it's come to the point that major teachings of what we believe is now illegal in our own country. We live in a post-Christian age, and this idea of a Christian nation or this assumption that Christian morals and values will be the center of our society, all of that is fading. In these things, we continue to persevere. And thank God, living where we do so far, we experience relatively little suffering on behalf of our faith. But I do think that that is why we've seen some of the seat of Christendom shift out of Europe and America. In the early 20th century, in the early 1900s, approximately 90% of all Christians were either in Europe or in North America. But today, the majority, up to 75%, are found either in Africa or Asia. These locales where persecution is the most intense and where suffering has been more pronounced, we've seen a spike in the growth of the gospel. And I believe that that's because God has determined to use persecution and suffering and hardship as a means to grow his church. For suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. We have need of endurance so that when we have done the will of God, we may receive what is promised. So, brothers and sisters, while we continue to pray for those who are suffering persecution or hardship, we pray for their deliverance and their protection, we can also thank God for the suffering that is actively producing endurance in the hearts of the saints of God. It also means when we are personally experiencing these things, we can continue to be grateful to our wondrous and sovereign God who has ordained that we would see such times.
And this is important to know now because in the midst of hardship and trial and suffering is not the time for me to come to you and say, God's doing something great in your life. God is using this suffering to do something good. That often is a go-to when we're trying to make someone feel better in the midst of their suffering, but I don't think it works that often. But if we can have it ground into our hearts and our minds that God does work through suffering and God does produce endurance through suffering and hardship before we get there, then God uses that to maintain in our hearts a, a seed of hope that maybe God is doing something good here even though there's no way I can see it. We continue endurance that we may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Too easily we forget that our hope on this earth is not in this earth. Our hope is in the return of Jesus Christ and the promise of eternity with him. This is something that no suffering, no persecution, no reproach, no affliction, no plundering of our property, nothing can touch on this earth. We have a better abiding possession in Christ. So our confidence in him can remain firm no matter what we experience here. And how do we maintain this endurance? How do we keep up the pace? How do we, in the midst of these trials and suffering, persevere? Well, again, I call your eyes up to verses 19 to 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another to good works and love, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. There's no better explanation as to how to maintain our endurance that I can give that our author hasn't given already. If it is true that we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls, the way we demonstrate that is by drawing near to God in worship, holding fast to our confession of hope, speaking the truth of what we believe, and to meet regularly with our fellow believers and stir up one another to love and good works. Also, this previous passage helps to remind us that although a lot of what we've read in our passage this morning seems us-centric, what do we have to do? This previous passage helps us to realize that all of that only comes by the blood of Jesus, 
by the new and living way that he has opened by his own body through the curtain. And only through his work on our behalf as our great high priest. The great reward which is promised to those who have endured and persevered and done the will of God is promised only to those who have trusted in Christ as their Lord and Savior. And so, brothers and sisters, as we close this morning, I implore you that you will not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. No matter what our society dangles in front of you to tempt you to forsake the faith, to go on deliberately sinning, draw near and hold fast. And sometimes that forsaking of the faith is not an obvious outright yes or no moment cut off. More often than not, it is a gradual drift. It is a decision that work or family or sports or the toys that we want to buy, the recreations that we enjoy, whatever it may be, they gradually gain ground. We gradually give up ground to them. We say, I would love to go to church this morning, but I would love to spend more time in worship, but I would love to really take time to pour into another fellow believer, but I would love to be engaged in our church and to find a role in ministry, but, and we piece by piece make excuses, we piece by piece give up little pieces of our faith, and then all of a sudden we find ourselves wondering where our faith has gone. So don't. Draw near to God and hold fast to him. When you are putting together your life schedule, don't look and go, where can I fit time for devotions into this? Where can I fit time to study the Bible with my family into this? Where can I fit time for service to God and his church into this? Flip that paradigm and plan I am going to every day spend time in the Word with my family. How can I work my life around that? I am going to be at church every Sunday that is humanly possible. How can I work my life around that? I'm going to find a ministry in the church that I can be involved in and pour into others as God has poured into me. How can I work my life around that ministry. And then may we as a church family, as we take the time to actively do that, that allows us then to stir one another up. Those of us who have committed to ministering and faith then go out and do the same with our brothers and sisters in the church. And we go, how can I be praying for you? How can I care? How can I make 
that easier for you or more available to you that you might come to spend time with God. We stir one another up to love and good works. Contact those who are absent and go, I haven't seen you in church in a while. What's up? We care for those of us among us who are sick and not feeling well. We buoy one, each, one another up when we hit those times in life when we are suffering. And we can remind these people of God's been faithful so far. He will continue to be faithful even in the midst of your valley here. And I'm confident that we as a church will do that because I know that many of us here at Elk Point Baptist Church have trusted in Christ. We have trusted in him alone for the salvation of our souls. And as such, we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but we are of those who are of faith and preserve our souls. And I praise God that as your pastor, I can have that hope for the majority of my church. I have that hope that one day I will get to join with you all in glory and see how in perfect clarity God has woven the tapestry of your life with a masterful hand. As our worship team comes, I ask that you would pray with me. Our God and our Heavenly Father, we know that you have done great things in our life, both in times that are full of joy and happiness, times where you have been so obvious in your work in our hearts that we just can't help but burst forth in praise. But Lord, we also thank you that you have been actively at work, sometimes even more so in the times where it's been struggle and toil and pain. Lord, we are just hitting the end of several years of difficulty and struggle in planning out how to navigate the waters of COVID. And Lord, even in the midst of that, you have used that to glorify yourself and to strengthen your church. And Lord, we thank you that you have made it obvious that you are at work. You have continued to sustain us and care for us in the midst of our trials, and we can look back at that for the rest of our lives and find confidence in that, that you have been faithful and you will remain faithful. And Lord, may we as a church continue to worship you for these things, draw near to you. May we as a church continue to confess these things to all who would listen that we might publicly proclaim the truth of the good things that you have done. And may we as a church continue to love one another enough that we could stir each other up to good works and to love. Lord, you are glorious and you are good. We thank you for 
both the warnings and the encouragements that you placed in Scripture. We thank you that you have given us your word that we might know you. May we not take it for granted that we have your word, but avail ourselves of it at every opportunity. We thank you for these things. We pray them in Jesus' name. Amen.